What's up, everybody, and welcome back to For Real, your podcast about documentaries. I'm Special K. I'm Matt. Let's go, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm ready to start complaining about how cold it is. You know, lately it's been it's been so hot out here that it's just I feel like my my shoes start melting to the pavement when I'm walking. Uh huh. It's just it's just unbearable. I uh, you know, I I don't often wish I had a job inside. But in weather like this, where it's been like 95 degrees for the last three weeks, I think, you know what, maybe an inside job wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's a trade-off, right? The freedom, flexibility of being out in a bottle day versus uh, consistent climate control. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I, I had, it said 99 degrees on the dash the other day. And I was like, you know what, man, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. See, see my thing, my fear about, about working on a desk and I've had this happen before and, uh, getting stuck on a desk with somebody for like eight to 10 hours or being right next door in a cubicle to somebody for eight to 10 hours that just annoys the shit out of you can just really ruin the entire, you know, joyful experience that work should be. (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I enjoy working on about by myself. And, you know, I, honestly, I don't have any kind of relationship with any of my coworkers. <laughs> like we all r- randomly run into each other like once a month and it's like, Hey, how's it going? Okay, cool. See you later. So I sort of enjoy that. Yeah. 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 I, I was trying to beat the heat today. I actually got a hammock. Um, so that's awesome. I, I mean, it's been a long time since I, uh, relaxed in a hammock. So I got one of those, set that up and was just bumming around for about three hours tonight. Just laying on a hammock, man. Outside. Oh yeah, dude. The breeze felt good. A nice breeze. I was under some shade. It was a little warmer. Like when the sun was still up, it was a little rough, but when the sun went down, it was actually feeling pretty good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, not only do I find hammocks so unstable that they approach riding a dirt bike without helmet levels. But uh, after spending all day just constantly sweating, by the time I get home, I'm like, I don't want to go outside. No, I don't want to walk the dog. I don't want to take the trash up the road. I will deal with everything after the sun goes down. Like I, I have no desire to be reintroduced to the outside after I've been outside all day. <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, let's get into the correction section for this week. All right. So, so, so let's, let's introduce some spoilers here. We're going to be playing some of these episodes a little out of order because we got something coming up that uh, might mean that some of the episodes are played a little later than they're supposed to. So this episode is actually being taken care of. This podcast is being uh, run directly after we watched and discussed American murder. So me and Kay talked about it. We found some spots where we messed up an American murder. Uh, but at the end of the day, we just kind of decided that American murder was such an, a God awful documentary. And this, this, the corrections that we had to make, and listen, when I say it was God awful documentary, what I mean, it was just really fucking sad. <laughs> All right. It was just, the whole thing was so depressing and the points that we found that needed correcting don't really need to be brought up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's little stuff that doesn't matter. 
So if you have any questions, uh, watch it yourself. <laughs> yeah, there's just no point in revisiting that. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. What it is. Yeah, it was a horrible thing, and I can't, I can't believe. <laughs> Uh, listen, so we got we got we got a little spoiled. All right. We you know, we had things like the Night Stalker and Sons of Sam. And uh, those we thought those were really good episodes and real good podcasts. And uh, they're they're really good documentaries. And we you know, we thought, hey, you know, those were easy to do because it's easy to like pay attention and take down notes and everything else. And so we thought, let's 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 clear out our palette a little bit. Let's, let's go back to do another one of those. And, uh, American murder was just a little too hardcore for us. It, it went past palate cleansing to like, essentially it's a palate cleansing. It just ripped out our tongues. Yep. It was, it was rough. Yep. It was like, uh, chewing on a broken bottle. That's what that felt like. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, listen, the documentary was, was well done and it was interesting the way they did everything, but the subject matter was just, Oh, yeah. I just again, I said it. I said it on that recording. I just, I don't know who that's for. I, just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who that's for. So it wasn't. It wasn't for me and Kay. I'll say that much. Yeah. Um. But anyway, on a on a lighter note, I guess let's, let's move on from one depressing one to another. Um, we're gonna cover uh this week, uh, my octopus teacher. It's a documentary uh from Netflix, streaming on Netflix. It was released in 2020. It is one hour and 25 minutes long. The synopsis on IMDb is that a filmmaker forges an unusual friendship with an octopus living in South African, in a South African kelp forest, learning as the animal shares the mysteries of her world. And it is worth noting that uh, this documentary did take home some gold. So this this documentary was the winner. Uh, of an Oscar for Best Documentary Feature in 2021. It also won a BAFTA for Best Documentary. Uh, it's also won a bunch of other stuff and was nominated for a bunch of other stuff. It was in film festivals and all kinds of stuff. So, and it um, this, fucking earned every one of those. This was critically critically acclaimed. So we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Let's just... So obviously by the title, you know, this is going to be about an octopus or an octopus is going to be part of this documentary. What do you, what do you know about octopus, octopus, octopi? I, don't I, think, know it, I think we looked it up and it's supposed to be octopuses, not octopi. And what I know about octopuses is very little. It's, it's stuff that you, so the other night we were discussing this documentary, me and Kay spent probably about 30 minutes discussing whether or not Kay was going to, was going to purchase an octopus is a pet. All right. Listen, let me let me clarify this before Peter comes after me. So, um, actually, what you said is true. That's just pretty accurate. <laughs> I was I was wondering about the like the technicalities and the logistics of having an octopus as a pet. But you 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 brought up some good points, some good animal facts, and it kind of dissuaded me because I don't, right. get, I don't get murdered in my sleep. Yeah. So so here's what I can tell you about octopuses. All right. They have brains, essentially simple brains in each one of their tentacles. All right. They have main brain and they have the simple brains that help with grasping motion, stuff like that. So, and they are very intelligent. They can squeeze through and into like incredibly tiny places. 
they can change the color and texture of their skin mm-hmm. to blend in with their surroundings, which is horrifying to me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's some crazy shit. Octopuses are aliens. I'm convinced. Well, listen, like that, the whole like changing their color and texture and that kind of stuff, like as a concept, that sounds wild. But then when you see it, it's even crazier. Yeah. 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 When you, yeah. Hearing about it and when I read about it, I was like, Oh, that looks crazy. And then you, I saw it in the documentary and I was like, Holy shit. That is terrifying. Like I, and Oh yeah. Also octopuses can come up on land. Yeah, I didn't know walk. that. They, they didn't, walk. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that until this documentary. Yeah. So uh, don't uh, just once again, stay away from beaches. Cause if you see an octopus coming at you, uh, they can walk using two tentacles and the other uh, six will be holding, can be holding knives. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, so the documentary starts out with saying that, uh, you know, basically that octopus is essentially an alien. I mean, it's, it's like an alien creature. I think it's several times throughout the documentary, he calls it like a fluid creature or a liquid creature. Uh, it, it's, it's, it is a wild animal. And it's one of those things like, I guess I, I've always, obviously, you know what octopus is, and you hear things about it, the eight tentacles or whatever, and and you know, the color changing and that kind of shit. But uh, I just, it's kind of overlooked. You kind of don't even like even understand the majesty of it until like you actually watch like something about it or I guess see one of these things, and it, it is an incredible creature. It is very yeah. weird. Yeah, I mean, I. I learned more about octopuses in this documentary than I ever knew. Yeah. Um, and I thought they were, oh yeah. So they do, I, I was going to, I was about to spoil a part later, but let's just say that they're very adaptive and, but unfortunately they're also very short lived. <laughs> have you, uh, have you ever eaten octopus? No. Okay. Um, they, I have, they, I, they, I have. It's, all right. it's okay. Based on what I've seen, it looks like they taste like a little rubbery for me. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a texture thing for sure. Um, it's it's listen, it's not my favorite thing. It's not it's not bad though either. I mean, I'll I won't order it, but if you ordered it and offered me a bite, I'd have one. I'd have a bite. That's kind of how I feel about octopus. Um, but uh, yeah, so the filmmaker in this documentary, uh, his name is Craig Foster. And he is from South Africa, which is where this whole documentary takes place. So Craig describes like his basically his love of the ocean. He's always had like this love of the seas. And it's because as a kid, he kind of grew up near the ocean. In fact, he mentions as a kid, they had a bungalow that was uh, oceanside, essentially, and he mentioned that the bungalow actually sat below the high water line. So when the water was high, they would like water would actually come into the house. They would actually flood the, the floors of the house. It just sounds like a bad engineering. And it also kind of reminded me of like, that's like the South African version of like our tornado alley where people just keep building mobile homes where tornadoes hit every fucking year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or uh, or New Orleans with their hurricanes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like at some point, Mother Nature is just it's going to kick us out permanently. So I, I just yeah. moved now. But anyway, so he, he is a kind of a filmmaker, and he his a lot of his uh, 
his love of the ocean was re- reignited, I guess, or he had a different take on it, a different perspective after he had traveled to, I believe that the Kalahari, which is an area in central, central Africa, uh, about 20 years prior to this documentary being made. And he was amazed by the hunters there because they could like track any animal. Uh, they track them for hours. Like, it's actually kind of incredible uh, the way they would track and hunt. I can't imagine like, cause especially there, it's like you're, you're on these, on this trail of scat or, or prints or a line in the sand or whatever. And then you turn around, it's a fucking lion or a cheetah or something. Uh, uh-uh. I'm not doing that shit. Or even if, how about your, how about even worse? You're, you're, you know, you're tracking the animal and it's not that it turns out to be a tiger or whatever else or a lion, but you're tracking it and something is tracking you or it's oh, yeah. just waiting for you to pass by ambush yeah <laughs> yeah so uh craig craig kind of like his his impetus for starting this documentary for doing this documentary this film is that he was struggling and uh kind of generally unhappy with with life with work he doesn't really like explicitly say what it was he just makes it seem like he was having a very difficult time with his life he, he is married he did have a child he has a son uh, but for whatever reason, he just wasn't feeling fulfilled. And he felt like in order for him to kind of break out of this, he had to get back. Like he had to get into the water. Uh, and this area where he, he is, I guess it's on the Atlantic Ocean. And the water is at times very cold. And he mentions that at times, based on like the current conditions and that kind of stuff, it is some of the toughest swim conditions you can find. Uh, but he mentions about how like being in the water is relaxing and soothing and and it kind of centers you uh and i gotta be honest like i i am already kind of jealous of this guy at this point in the documentary because i for one i fu- i love the water like i meant i should be living on a beach somewhere and well, it looked like paradise to me here's my thought he said the water was incredibly cold but after about a year you get to crave it yeah i, I was like uh Anything that it takes a year for you to like and crave cannot be good for you. I don't care what it is. That's like, I feel like it's like beer. All right. You, you start off drinking beer and it, it just tastes like watered down horse piss. And then, you know, you start going to parties and everything else. And you start drinking more beer to, you know, show off or fit in or whatever else. And suddenly it starts tasting good to you. But at the end of the day, guys, that's just because your body is finally finally tired of rejecting it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some psychology to the cold. Well, oh, I don't know if there's or not, but I do remember hearing like, I don't know, like 10, 12 years ago. I remember somebody was telling me about how there's like, um, supposedly, I don't, this could be all bullshit. This is, this is some bro science right here, probably. But that like, taking cold showers is like better for your like mental, like mental health, like mentally. It makes you more alert, makes you more focused, makes you less tired. So they recommend it's better for your skin or something. So they recommend you take like cold showers, like almost like literally as cold as you can stand is how cold you should be taking a shower. And it's supposed to have all these benefits. I would rather make love to a a meat grinder. (laughs) I I, I did it uh, probably about one and a half times. I know I I tried it once, like earnestly. We tried to tough it out. I remember thinking like I, I, I benefited not, this is, there's no benefits to this. This was just, maybe I'm saving on, you know, 
gas bills. Yeah, the gas on heating the water. <laughs> but other than that, I don't know what I got. And the second time I tried it, because I was like, all right, come on, just you know, nut up here. I tried it a second time, Bob. I don't know. I, probably not even, not even five minutes into the shop. All right, fuck this. Fuck this. Turn yeah. that sucker out. Get, get let's get hot. Let's do it. Fuck this. Yeah. So what? I guess this guy's this guy's saying there's something to it too. He's tougher than we are. Yeah, that's for sure. So while he's uh, swimming around one day, kind of he's he's going through like this these kelp forests, which look phenomenal. Yeah. And he's he is he's snorkeling by the way. I do want to point that out. He doesn't scuba dive. He snorkels because he feels like the it's a it's a closer. It's like a closer connection to the water and the environment, and it's less intrusive. And let, let me just comment on his, his snorkeling gear. All right, it, it's basically he's got a scuba mask and uh, one of those what are those those things called? You attach your mouth, you, and if you're just looking down, snorkel, snorkel. Okay, which I never quite understood the point of those, unless you're just laying flat on the ground on the water, looking straight down. Uh-huh. But uh, his scuba mask, uh, I don't know if they all look like that, but his looks like it was taken from the basement from the basement scene in Pulp Fiction. Well, all right. <laughs> it, was, it was horrifying looking. It's two separate pieces. So the, he, he has the actual goggles and then he has a neoprene head cover, probably because the water's so cold. So it keeps his like his head warm, his ears and stuff warm, probably. And those, well, are two, those are two separate. Well, actually, it's three separate pieces. The goggles are separate, the snorkel separate and the. The well, headpieces. It was terrifying looking. All right. <laughs> That's my only point. And so <laughs> there were so many jellyfish in that kelp forest. Oh, yeah. You just showed them everywhere. And I'm like, uh, dude, don't those things kill you? I, I don't. Like, yeah, I think some can. I don't know if all of them are. I don't. All, I think. Well, I don't know. I think there's some that are harmless. They don't. They don't hurt people, uh, which I don't. I question their evolutionary purpose then if they have no defense mechanism. But uh, yeah, as some of them I for sure will hurt you. Some of them can kill you. I do know that. While he's swimming around one day, he sees this weird thing on the bottom of the ocean. And essentially what, he, it, what it is, it's an octopus and it's like hiding under shells. Like it's taking all these shells and rocks and stuff. And it's, it's kind of made like this little shield thing with them. It's kind of strange. He like rolled up a ball and he had them covering every angle it looks like the it look, when you're looking at it it looks like a an incredibly strange rock pile mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah i think that's how he described it too so then the, the the octopus ends up unwrapping itself and ends up wrapping itself up with some kelp or something before swimming away and he says craig says you know he just he felt like he says some kind of a couple of weird things in his documentary but he says he feels like that creature was just it was un, something was unusual about it something there was something special about it he just had like a, he felt like this instant connection to this animal. And so he decides he's going to dive every day and go visit this octopus every single day. And, you know, so like day one, you know, the first next day or whatever he goes, he just kind of leaves his camera behind because he's got to kind of earn the octopus's trust. Like he can't just walk, swim around and start grabbing it and stuff. So he ends up leaving the camera behind. And it's one thing I thought was crazy is how he used the shell as a shield like when it was approaching the camera, is this? Yeah, this octopus, when it, it was investigating the cameras, it so it was very curious, obviously, what was going on. It picked up a shell and dragged itself forward while holding the shell between the camera and itself in case the camera was like going to attack it or something. It was very crazy and strange looking. And 
like I said, it just made me think that octopuses are uh, a lot smarter than they let on. Yeah, yeah. Well, because they use they're using tools, like they're using their yeah. environment as a tool. It's kind of crazy. But he also does note too, like on early on here, that there's like a large population of what he refers to as pajama sharks. I've never heard of pajama sharks before. I thought those were nurse sharks, but apparently those are called pajama sharks. And there's a bunch of them. I guess there's a fuck ton of them that live like in the, in the caves and stuff around where this octopus's den was. And obviously a, a, the shark is a major predator right. of this octopus on day 26 is when he has the first physical contact with this thing. And it kind of reaches out and touches him. And cause he puts his hand out just a little bit and, and maybe it's, cliche and maybe it's juvenile but man this guy he was he acted weird with this octopus <laughs> all right like this first contact scene was it was very intimate yes i would agree that it was very intimate i i wouldn't say it was strange like he stuck so this guy sticks out his hand towards the octopus because the octopus was moving towards him and the octopus like reached up and very gently like like touch, like laid its its one of its arms across his hand, and it was like kind of feeling his hand, feeling his fingers, and it did look very intimate. I I don't think it looked creepy, but it looked like it was just like a very private moment between a man and an octopus. Yeah, very very private. Uh, the way I have wrote down here, I wrote sensual. This was a, this is very sensual. I, I wouldn't say it was sensual. It was sensual. I didn't say sexual. I said sensual. I, I, I would disagree with the sensual assessment. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's how I took it. But anyway, so it ends up like now it like trusts him because it's, he, he didn't kill it when it, when they touched. So now the octopus starts trusting him. It ends up leaving the den. And this is where he kind of talks about like some of the observations he makes of this octopus, and some of the things that it does. Like we had mentioned, this thing can change color. It can change texture. It grows horns, which is, uh I didn't understand, but it was terrifying and and fitting. It's appropriate. It's appropriate for this creature. Um, Another thing I think you had mentioned earlier, but it also does this underwater is that sometimes it walks on two legs along the ocean floor. Like it has two, two, it's kind of strange. And the other ones kind of like, I don't know, kind of float out. It's, it's kind of a weird thing to see, man. So this is kind of weird is I never really thought about octopuses swimming. Like I thought they kind of just like traveled along the ocean floor. Um, but they're like remarkably fast swimmers. And I guess I should have figured that out or realized that, which is something you don't think about. But like like Kay was saying, they they can walk along the ocean floor too, and it is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. Guy said, this guy said and then seconds it transformed into a bipedal creature, <laughs> which just sounds like like an excerpt from a from a a, a book about an alien invasion. <laughs> yeah, it's like a firsthand account of, of what yeah. they look like. Uh, and they, so he goes on to say, like, basically, you know, these things are essentially evolutionarily a snail without a shell. They really have no major like they don't have like talons or like a sharp teeth or whatever to defend themselves with. They rely solely on deception. To defend themselves and to hunt. I mean, they're just a sneaky, sneaky creature, which I mean, it makes it, it makes them cooler. It makes them more terrifying, but it also makes them a lot cooler. Yeah. 
you, you know what I kept thinking like about this is like 20 or 30 minutes in the documentary. Like I said, they're on day like 30 or something like that. This guy's like down underwater, just hanging out with his octopus. And he's like, you know, you're watching the octopus move around and like, and like move around the guy and the guys watching him and everything else. And I, I just like, I just suddenly realized how long can this fool hold his breath for? Mm-hmm. Because that dude would be underwater for the longest of times. And I was just like, holy shit, dude. So I actually, I actually looked this up. I actually looked this up. So he can hold his breath for six minutes. Holy shit. And the director, uh, Pippa Ehrlich, can hold hers for four minutes. Dude, that is such a long time to hold your breath. Yeah, that's a long time without oxygen. Six minutes? That's... That's like, I, I thought the most you could hold your breath before you start like suffering brain damage was like five, six minutes is a hell of a long time. And it's not like he was like, you know, your bot, you, you use up, you burn up more oxygen, the more you move. It's not like this guy was holding still. He was like swimming around and like moving and stuff, but like, holy shit, he was down there for a long time. Yeah. If you want to know what six minutes feels like, uh, you know, Go outside, pull out your phone, hit your timer, set it for six minutes, and just run until the timer goes off. It feels like forever. <laughs> yeah. um, or, you know, like when you're really hungry and you wait for the microwave to like ding, six minutes feels like fucking forever. So six minutes underwater is it's yeah, it's gotta feel like an eternity. I I, I kept getting this weird, like weird feeling like I couldn't breathe just watching, <laughs> thinking about how like oppressive it must be underneath that all that water and he's just not he's just holding his breath the whole time i just kept like feeling like i was short of breath like holy shit dude like that's that is insane yeah and i don't know i don't know how deep like i don't know how deep he actually got because i mean he spends a lot of time at the bottom um you know interacting with the octopus and, and filming this octopus and the different sea life down there but it looked to me like he's at least like, know, what do you say 20 feet 25 yeah. feet maybe yeah. At times. I mean, that's, that's deep. That's ear popping level. Yeah. You're that's, you're feeling a pressure differential when you're that deep and he's just kind of just floating around. I mean, just kind of hanging out. So yeah, it's, it's impressive, but on uh, day 52, he has like this incident where he, he drops his camera and it like spooks the octopus and then he approaches it too fast or something and so the octopus yes. actually like takes off, like it runs off and he's kind of, woe is me. Did I lose that? I lose the octopus's trust. Um, you know, he really thought like it was, it was done and over with, but then he decides he's going to track this thing. Now this, I, I don't understand. Like this seems so impossible to me, but so he learns basically how to track all these underwater creatures and like how to look for signs of an octopus and, I mean, he spends, I think, days tracking this thing. It was, it was a week and one day before he finally found it. And what he said was, like, for one, oct- octopuses, when they eat, they're very messy eaters. They mm-hmm. eat crabs, which is another creature that I didn't consider could possibly swim. And those fuckers can swim. Mm-hmm. All right. That was, that, that right, that right, they showed that at one point, And I was just like, what is happening? I feel like the, I feel like the ocean I can't figure like from in the ocean, not like watching it from the shoreline. Like when you're underwater and you're seeing all this happen, 
I can't figure out if the ocean is beautiful or if it's just a bad LSD trip. <laughs> like everything, it looks, they're so colorful. Everything's moving around. You see crazy shit all the time. And it's just like, I feel like it, it looks like a hallucination. Yeah, it's, it's a different world. It's an absolute different world. But, uh, but yeah, he, so he, he finds leftovers from this octopus from eating. And he finds little like drag marks. He, like he, he shows you like individual drag marks. Like this is a, this type of fish. This is this, these little indentations right here. That's the octopus walking on the floor. See, but just, here, here's my question though. How, how, like, how can you look at a, a drag in the sand on the bottom of the ocean and be like, Hey, this is from an octopus. At one point he's like, I know I'm close. I'm within, I'm within a meter. I'm, I'm, I'm within three feet or whatever. I think he says, I mean, I'm within three meters or something of her. It's like, how do you, how do you, how could you possibly know that? Cause well, isn't the I, water like constantly moving that shit around? Isn't the sand, the bottom constantly changing? And how are you you're tracking, that. you're tracking you that octopus. Like when he was living with that tribe in Africa, it's all desert and kind of windswept plains. So like you got sand shifting around, you got stuff moving around, you got tracks, overlapping tracks. And these guys, it's just, it's, it's something like you grow up with and you're just, you can do it, I guess. Yeah. I guess. And with him, he, he devoted like his entire attention. I kept thinking, damn, like my wife would be pissed if I just kept disappearing for hours on end and like, oh, I was, uh, I was just tracking this octopus while you were home taking care of the kid or at work and then picking up the kid. Well, yeah, he especially how he like he starts describing like this interaction with the octopus. Like at one point, it like jumps on his hand and like rides it to the surface. And he's talking about like staring into her eyes is like this great feeling. And then he like he asks himself like, well, what is she getting out of this? And he calls it a relationship. Um, and he, he says, it's probably like, you know, it's a very intelligent creature. So it's getting stimulation. And he says some degree of octopus joy. Uh, and then he makes, he does make like, again, for somebody who's like unhappy and miserable with his life, he's trying to find meaning or trying to find purpose or whatever he's doing. But he says, <laughs> it's in the documentary. He says, there is no greater feeling on earth than when he's playing with this octopus because the boundaries are dissolved. And when I saw this, I was like, says the father slash husband of humans. Yeah. That, that the greatest feeling on earth is with this octopus. Before this, he says that the most, the most fantastic feeling is being followed by an octopus when, when they're playing together and the octopus is like chasing them around down in the water. It's such a weird. I can tell you that he regretted that statement almost immediately. Oh, because it's such a weird thing. Like you said, like. Could you imagine, could you imagine if like you're out, like you said, you're out playing with this fucking octopus and stuff and your, your wife's like, the fuck is he, who's he going to see? Like, is he fucking, like, is he cheating on me? Like, who the fuck is this octopus bitch? And then it's like, well, how do you, how do you compete? Like as a woman, how are you going to compete with an octopus? You know what I mean? Like, what can, what can you give him that, that this octopus can't? It's just like, it's cutting into the relationship. I don't know, man. It was just, it was strange. It, this part um, to me was really weird. Also, when he was looking in the octopus's eyes, he also brought up that on top of all the other weird things uh, about octopuses, 
which that sounds like that's that word sounds wrong. I'm gonna have to look it back up, but I'm sure they said you're supposed to call them octopuses, not octopi. But uh, octopuses have a rectangular iris. Mm-hmm. It's not like a snake's. It's not like a human's. It's, it's rectangle, which looks fucking strange. Mm-hmm. Which is fair enough because everything on the octopus looks strange. <laughs> yeah, so, and he he and he ends up researching. So like he ends up later researching more about octopus because he he wanted to learn as much as he could about this because obviously he's devoting his life to this. Like he's falling in love with this thing, so he's got to figure out what it is, and he determines the things. Uh, it's a common octopus. And the scientific name is uh, Octopus Vulgaris, which, I mean, the way he's interacting with this thing, I, I'd say Vulgaris for is fitting. But, And he learns all kinds of different facts about it. I mean, he, like, studies every single research paper he can get his hand on to figure out, like, what is, what is this, how does it live? What does it do? Uh, what does it eat? What's its life cycle? I mean, it determines everything. He tries to research everything. And spoiler alert, they eat everything. They have, they have a poison barb that they actually stab things with, and then they eat them. Mm-hmm. They, have hit them they have to hit this, this spot on their, on their nervous system perfectly, otherwise it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So they latch onto the backs of things, they poison them, and then they tear them apart. Horrifying. So he ends up doing a night dive, which was shot really well, uh, which I think would be the, the most terrifying part of this entire thing. Oh, yeah. Down at night with the sharks, and I mean, just... And and you're in this fed, it's like forest, scary, but in this kelp forest, which looks terrifying during the daytime, I actually wrote down in my notes: night swim in the ocean. I'd rather get a I'd rather get a cactus colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 that part was terrifying. And then in day one twenty five, uh, this is where uh, we get a little bit of tragedy here because the the octopus ends up getting attacked by a shark. It's kind of a brutal, listen, it's like a, it's like a nature doc, obviously feeling. Yeah. And, but I mean, you're watching a shark attack this thing that, you, that you're watching this guy follow around. And he, he, he decides he makes the, the, the decision not to intervene. Like, obviously he is like, he, he, is appreciative of this octopus, but he decides like, I can't intervene because it was what I'm witnessing in his nature. Like, I can't intervene in nature, which yeah. would kind of take, take a lot. If you think about it, I mean, well, to watch something that you kind of care about getting murked in the moment, I mean, that'd be tough. Well, no, I, I actually, uh, it's not the first tragedy. That's not the last tragedy involving the octopus where I was like, I, I you know, I got to give his, I got to give respect to his decision to let nature be nature because I was like, I don't know if something that I devoted all my time and it cared about me and I cared about it. I don't know if I could stand back and let and just watch it get hurt. Yeah. But did it really care about him though? I mean, maybe yeah, we don't, we don't, we well, don't know. You could ask the same question about dogs, cats. Do you think, do you think an octopus is as smart as a dog? Uh, he says they are. So if an octopus is as smart as a dog, do you think dogs care about people? I think dogs care about you so much as they need you to feed them. See, okay, so I for, I, I always forget that Kay is just a a skeptic on fucking everything. So I think I personally think that dogs care about certain people. Like for instance, uh, my father in law. Whenever my dog sees my father in law, he loses his fucking mind. He loves this man 
so much. It's so obvious. Every time he's like, you can, he can walk through a hundred people and he gets happy that people are petting him and stuff. But if he sees or hears my, my father-in-law's voice, he loses his goddamn mind every time. See, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, yeah. Maybe, maybe dogs and cats or other pets. I don't know. May, obviously they have like a sense of like, uh, you know, where this is my house. This is my home. This is my family. This is my, my pack or whatever. Like they have, they have those kind of instincts, natural instincts, but let's face it, bro. If you died tonight and it was just you and that dog in that house, after a couple of days, the dog's fucking eating you. That's what's going to happen. Well, and that's perfectly fine because if I was trapped in the house and the dog died, I'd eat the dog. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just nature being nature, man. I mean, nobody's going to starve to death. Uh, meat of them. I mean, think about, think about those things where people get trapped and like, and then end up eating their dead companions. I mean, if you're, if you're starving, your, your brain is going to force you to figure something out. Uh, I don't know, man. Are you, are you are you are you saying that if you were trapped, like say you're trapped in an icy path, path uh, icy area over winter, no no possibility of escape. There's 20 people with you, 10 of them die, and you're starving. What are you gonna do? Yeah, I think you just you just you you, you forage, eat bark and shit. I've watched I've watched enough survival reality tv to know that i can eat bark and i can eat moss and shit and stick it out fuck that i'm taking a i'm taking a big bite out of karen <laughs> yeah so so the shark does attack and it, it ends up uh <laughs> it, it, it did end up like ripping off one of uh her tentacles and he asks himself was like was i responsible was my interacting with her did it cause her to like take risks i guess or did it encourage her not to be safe or something and then he says in a weird way like what happened to her happened to him i think he even mentioned something about like phantom feeling phantom something like yeah, uh, phantom pain it that, that was a weird moment for me like i can understand being horribly worried i've got pets i love i love animals i love my pets and whenever one of them start acting funny or i think they're sick or something like that i am i my it drives my wife and my daughter crazy but i am like constantly checking in on them like doing my best to make sure they're comfortable happy healthy and it's just like i i get obsessed with like but i would never say like if my bearded dragon broke a leg i would i would i would feel like my leg was broken <laughs> you know that's that's crazy talk that's yeah, crazy it's a little over the top uh, she ends up, and I didn't know they could even. This was even possible. I know I yeah. knew like lizards could grow their tail back, but at day one thirty four, she starts growing a new tentacle. Like it's a little tiny. It reminded me of Deadpool. Is what, is what it made me think of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's just growing a new tentacle. And around this time, like he says, like his human relationships are starting to improve. Like his relationship with his with his son and his wife. Like the, and he, he's feeling more connected with nature. He's feeling more calm, more at peace. And his human relationships now are starting to benefit. And after a hundred days, uh, she, like the arm is totally fully regrown back to its full, you know, full size. And uh, around day 271 is where he watches, like he documents her hunting. This is where he talked about the crab swimming. And she ends up like killing a crab very sneakily. Efficiently. Yeah, efficiently. I mean, she's, I mean it's very 
it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, I mean, it's wild how, how tactical she was and how she, she adapted. And it was just, she basically, it, it looked like a blanket fall. Like it looked like a, like a sheet falling over a kid. Like you can sort of see the outline, except in this situation, the blanket has a poison stinger and eight arms that it is just crushing the life out of you with. <laughs> yeah. And then after it, after she kills the crab and takes it back into her cave, like you mentioned that she's, she's a messy eater. So like stuff goes everywhere and it, it attracts other animals. Other, yeah. And so there's these things called brittle stars that like just converge on her den. And I, these might be the only thing that appear more terrifying than this octopus. I thought that yeah. they were I, I assume there's some type of like starfish or something, but they were terrifying. They kind of reminded me of ants just in their behavior. And he said he was concerned. He was like, well, I thought she wouldn't get any food because these scavengers were all over and they were literally covering, covering her. And then she just started grabbing them with her tentacle and literally flipping them outside of her cave. Yeah. She was, he said she'd grab them, just throw them out, just throw them out. Yeah. It, it, it was, it, it's, it is an alien world down there, man. Uh, a day around day 304, um, she again, you know, she's like fully back at it, and a shark starts hunting her as she's moving around, and it's kind of like a drawn out chase battle thing. And she ends up, uh, eventually, like you mentioned before, she actually climbs up out of the water onto a rock and like walks across a rock, which was, again, I didn't know they were capable of that. That was like, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is going on here? You mean these can get up and just run on land? What is going, what is happening? Yeah, that was, that was, that was weird looking. If I saw, if I saw an octopus on land, I, I would scream and run. Yeah, it was, it was fright. I mean, it was, it's really cool, but it's also very frightening. Uh, and, and so she ends up getting back in the water I assume there's probably like they can only do that for a certain amount of time before they have to go back in the water. I yeah. Like, I don't know if it's like mermaid rules or something. I don't, I don't know how it works, but, um, and then the shark ends up picking up the scent again. The, the chase is on and this octopus ends up making that kind of shell and rock shield thing that it did the first time you ever saw it. Um, and the shark like grabs her and just like starts tossing her around. I thought for sure, like, this is it. Like, this mm-hmm. is over. Like, she's, she's dead right here. But this crafty fucking octopus ends up slinging herself onto the shark's back and it's just riding around on this fucking shark. <laughs> it was incredible, man. It'd be, it'd be like jumping on the back of a tiger. Yeah, it was it was absolutely incredible. And then like as it's swimming around trying to figure out what the fuck's going on, it gets like close to some like dense kelp or something, and she realizes, okay, now's my chance. And she just freaking jumps off the kelp, jumps off into the kelp and runs off to her den and she's makes it safe. I mean, I'm sure she got a little tore up or whatever from getting tossed around, but dude, that well, it was that was amazing to watch. Yeah, and, and you gotta think that that stuff that because she did that thing where she pulled all the shells and the rocks on top of her. So uh-huh. when he grabbed her, I, I was I was like, maybe that stuff blocked her from getting any serious damage this time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it must have done something. It must have helped her some way because uh, she didn't lose an appendage, which is yeah. which is a win. Um, later on, some days later, I think he ends up like seeing her, what he believes was her playing uh, with fish. There's like a school of fish, and she's, you know, because he may, he points out like when she's hunting, she's very stealthy, very tactical, and 
when she with this time when he's watching her filming her like she's like kind of slapping at the fish kind of getting the squirrel school to move left and right move around it's kind of it's kind of weird to see octopus like playing with its food essentially and then and then he ends up uh, having this nice cuddle moment with her where she actually like climbs onto his chest and he like cradles her underwater which again which he which he commented was the the last physical contact they had his his comment not mine yeah <laughs> so day 324 he goes down and he interrupts her mating apparently he gets down to the den and there's a, a much larger octopus in there with her and he realizes that she's mating and i'm, I'm gonna be honest man like it's at a part part of him you can see it in his eyes you know he's like baby how could you do this to us like how could you do this to me well i think it was more to me this part was sad so when female octopuses they mate they stop eating all together and they start they essentially giving birth to these eggs causes them to starve to death and die mm-hmm. so i'm sure to him he was like it was like watching somebody you know walking off an execution chamber yeah uh, he, he mentions like he, he he realized like she's this is part of her life cycle and so she she he, he checks it on her and these uh eggs end up she ends up having the uh, laying the eggs eggs hatch Hundreds of thousands, I guess, of these eggs end up hatching, but only a handful, he says, will survive. And then afterwards, she's kind of like this, like you said, she's she's dying. And he said the water, like the, the current kind of like washed her out of her den. And as she's like laying on the bottom of the ocean, uh, you know, half dead, essentially. Uh, yeah. She starts being fed on by like the fish and the, and yeah, that, I mean, that was, that was crazy. I mean, that was, that was, uh. A tough thing at that point because you've watched an hour of of this octopus and you know it's 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 hard to not like personify it and you know give it what's that called they give you you, you give a animal human attributes yeah yeah so i don't know there's a term for it um but yeah so it was it was tough man and the next day he goes down and he finds her body uh and a, a shark comes up and eats eats her Goodbye. corpse yeah eats the corpse so uh you know, unfortunately, this one doesn't have necessarily the happiest of endings because the octopus does end up dying. He says afterwards, he's a little, he's kind of heartbroken. He misses her. So he would uh, find, he'd find himself once in a while going over to her den and he kind of just floats above the den so he can feel her presence. Yeah, uh, that was horribly sad to me. It was, I, I like when that shark came, came along and just picked her up, I was like, I, I don't know if she was dead at that point. Oh, I think she had. She was tore up, man. I she hope just, so. She was kind of so. just like just laying there at the bottom. I think she. I, I think she was probably dead. I hope so, but it was. I mean, that's nature, man. It was. I. And I'll be honest. I was sad. I was like, and this is like horribly depressing. But uh, on the same note, like, you know, that's just nature. That's that's part of the cycle. You know, that's. It's sad. It's unfortunate, but it, that is that is nature. Nature is uncaring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, again, I'll give him props for not intervening. I think a lot of people have been like, "Oh, I'm gonna like grab her. I'll take her home, put her in a fish tank, or um, let me you know, let me scare off these sharks." Or let me. At one yeah. point, he did bring her food when she was first injured, when she had her thing ripped off. He did mm-hmm. bring her some food because he saw that she was weak, which he said what well, he felt like he was crossing the line by doing. 
but I think a lot of people <laughs> would have done at least yeah. that. You know, it's like seeing like a a, a dog like that is dying because it's out of water. Like you're gonna give it water if you if you have water, yeah. you know. But and he he admits like that after she died, he did feel somewhat relieved just because the whole this entire process of diving every day to document her and visit with her and whatever it was he says it was very taxing and i would imagine it would i mean imagine committing to doing something every single day we've committed to doing this podcast once a week and sometimes this can feel taxing i can't yeah. imagine like all right every single day you're gonna jump in this cold ass water and you're gonna hold your breath for six minutes at a time and you're gonna film this octopus in this alien environment yeah i, I imagine it, it takes a toll after a while so the good thing out of this, though, like I said, he did improve his his personal relationships with his family, and he ends up like his son. Even while the actor was still alive, the son would come on dives with him, and he'd introduce the two. But it's almost like introducing your son to like your second family. But then he would. Yeah. But then after this, though, him and his son became closer, and his son like loved the water more, and they'd do more of these dives together. And he's overall like this entire thing, like the entire, like the, you know, the doc documentary is my octopus teacher. And essentially what this octopus taught him uh, was to appreciate life, nature and more, but yeah, nature and life more, um, yeah. you know, and that you're not, you're not, uh, I think the way he put it, and I'm paraphrasing is that you're not like a visitor looking out from the outside, looking in, like you are a part of this. And that's what kind of the octopus taught him was like that he was part of that environment. He wasn't just a visitor of it, uh, which is, yeah, it's, it's a neat, it's a neat takeaway. And then he ends up founding, um, an, I believe it's a nonprofit called Sea Life Change, which I believe is dedicated to preserving the kelp forests in his area. Um, overall, Matt, what did you, what did you think of this documentary? I thought it was, uh, it was, I, I wrote this down. Hold on. I thought it was, uh, it was sad. It was strange. And it was also kind of beautiful. Mm. Like I thought I, I honestly, I enjoyed the documentary a ton. I love animal documentaries and learn about animals and like all the crazy shit that they do. This is my first time learning about octopuses. I still think they're aliens, but uh, on the same note, like I think the overall message of the documentary was fantastic. Yeah. I, I agree. It was very beautifully shot. I will say that first and foremost, the underwater photography and the film is, it was, it's incredible. Like yeah. this guy and the director um, did a, did a, like a world-class like job of, of filming underwater, just the, the night dives, the different times of day, the, the lighting, it just, it was gorgeous. Like it is a, it is a visually appealing documentary if you like like underwater stuff if you're like i love waters i absolutely like i said before i love the ocean i love any kind of body of water i love it so for me it was just like i just felt so at peace looking at the underwater the scenes and so it was just it was great i, I freaking loved it. It was unbelievable um i think that the story the narrative to me i think in my personal opinion it just it felt a little forced I, just, I can't imagine being, I, I, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Like you said, I'm cynical, but I can't imagine earnestly, honestly having this connection to this, to an animal like that. I just can't. And I, I feel like the, he forced this narrative to show this awesome footage he was taking because he was taking some incredible footage. But to me, and just yeah. like, again, some of, some of the, some of the ways he describes like 
It's the most fantastic, the most fantastic feeling and the greatest feeling on earth. You know, it's just, it's look, man, if it, it feels good to be wanted, bro, but come on, like <laughs> your father, like you're telling me that the greatest feeling on earth, you, the birth of your son, wasn't that for you other, another accomplishment wasn't that for you. It just, it, to me, it just, it seemed like this was a vehicle for displaying his talents of, with underwater filmmaking. That's what it seemed like to me. I, but, I would say different folks, different strokes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm less, I, I guess I'm just, I'm not as, as connected to nature, I guess, as some other people. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I mean, I just think about like when my dog, like my, my dog died a couple of years ago. Yeah. You gotta, well, uh, you got to bring this up on the podcast for real. I'm not going to bring up how you killed my dog. Okay. No, now you have to explain it because people are going to think I killed your fucking dog. Okay. So I had an old dog. Old. Emphasis on the old. But go ahead. Continue. She was not that old. She was like nine. For a big, for a bigger dog, that's old. Okay. So I had a nine-year-old dog and Kay was coming over to hang out and she was kind of just eoring around and uh, Kay said... Dina, why don't you go die? No, it's not what I said. That's not what I said. I said, Dina, why aren't you dead yet? And then I said, Dina, it's okay. You can let go. That's what I said. I said, why aren't you dead yet? And it's okay to let go. Those are the two things I said to your dog. And then the next day I came home and my dog died. Yeah. And I'm not laughing. It's not funny. It's kind of funny, but not that your dog's dead. Just the timing of it. Because literally the next day, Matt called me and he's like, dude, you're not going to believe this, but uh, Dina died. And I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. I thought, I thought for sure you were joking, dude. I thought I, I would have bet anything you were fucking around. I even, I guys, I went to his house to see if he was fucking lying to me or not. I was not, dude. I was, uh, well, my point was, wasn't how you murdered my dog. I didn't. My point was, is that like, to me, that was one of the, say top emotional moments of my life like i'm not a crier by nature but i wept like crazy when that dog died yeah that was that was strange man that was that was uh again i feel for you i'm sorry i didn't kill your dog i just gave her permission to cross over yep and 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 she took your advice and now i'm alone with my other dog who i don't like as much well, so, if you want me to come by, you want me to yeah, you want no stop thing. by and stop by and have a heart to heart. No, no, I'm gonna keep you away from my pets. You, uh, you are not a you, you are not a pet person anymore. You lost <laughs> lost the you you lost the right after you killed my dog. Uh, I didn't kill your dog, but that is a 100 true story. That's that is what happened, and it was wild. I I honestly thought you were lying to me the next day when you called me and told me that. I was like, dude, because I felt so bad. <laughs> so terrible <laughs> the timing was unbelievable um but yeah. anyway so but anyway so my point is is that uh is that like some people tend to get more attached to animals than they do to people i am not i wouldn't say more attached to animals than i do people i would say that i definitely do get very attached to animals though you know what else i thought was weird because this guy did obviously get very attached, is he never named it. He never named the octopus. You thought he would name it, if, any, if for any reason, other than to just like to refer to her by a name, like for just easier communication to other people about what he's doing with his life. 
Yeah, I thought that was a little strange too. I mean, it's not a pet, so I understand his his uh, not wanting to give it a name because it's it's not a pet. It's right, this is that. Listen, you're crossing this some woke ass nonsense right now. I'm gonna tell you. That, I'm gonna say it right now. No, I grew up on a farm. Okay, there's animals you name and there's animals you eat. You don't name what you're going to eat or you don't name something that you're not personally going to take care of. I don't know. I feel like, listen, if you saw the same thing every day for a year, you're not going to have even just a name you refer to it as. I don't know. That's, that was weird to me. The fact that he didn't name this thing was strange. That, that, that was weird to me. That was strange. But whatever. Anyway, so in our, uh, our review system here, uh, how many beers would you need to drink to watch this again? Zero. Zero. Wow. I'd watch this. I'd watch this again in a heartbeat. Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to actually agree with you um, just because, again, I don't care so much about like the, the man and octopus uh, love story here. I, I just really liked the footage. Uh, the footage was, was amazing. It was an incredible, like as you said, put it on mute nature documentary. Fantastic. Yeah. I thought you had to put it on mute. I'm not saying it's a bad documentary. I'm just saying that, to me, I cared. I was blown away, like, absolutely awestruck by the quality of the filming. Yeah, it was awesome. But the narrative for me is, uh, I take it or leave it. But I, I can see how this won an Oscar. I, I, I get it. I see it. I see. Yeah. I, I, I see it. Um, yeah. So that's that's my octo- my octopus teacher uh, streaming on Netflix. Check it out if you haven't already. As always, make sure you guys subscribe, rate, and review. Share this with friends. We are, as, as Matt alluded to, we have uh, something kind of big in the works. We're pretty excited for it. Um, it's it's going to be within the next few weeks or so. But we, we actually, we got a couple of things we're excited for. I shouldn't say just one thing. We actually have a couple of things we're excited for. So, but we have we have uh, something a little little special for you guys. So make sure you guys get uh, get your friends on board so they can be part of that with you. Exactly. Make love sure you... us. <laughs> love us. Love us like this guy loves this octopus, man. Not that much. Not that much. <laughs> uh, make sure you guys follow us on our socials. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at For Real Pod. Any comments, questions, complaints, suggestions, anything, any kind of whatever, DM us or cancel the podcast that's cancel the podcast at gmail.com until next time i'm special k i'm matt we'll see you guys later